0: Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbicast, the only baseball podcast in the world prepared to discuss a baseball-related nuclear apocalypse. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Stuart Schusterman, and yes, there will be MetsCon
1: on this episode. We are so excited to welcome our old producer, Bobby Wagner, back to the show as the Mets' Uh, really pitiful showing over the last couple weeks. I believe they are now in fourth place in the NL East. That wasn't the plan. That's not what Uncle Stevie's paying all the money for. So of course we're going to talk to Bobby about that. Before we get to Bobby, we're gonna we're gonna do a little off season review. We are now six weeks into the season. So instead of you know giving grades to off season moves the second after they happen, just wait a couple weeks and then we can clearly, definitively decide whether these giant free agent contracts and blockbuster trades. Were wins or losses. And then after Bobby, we will of course do the good, the bad, the ugly as we always do on Friday. Shabbat Shalom, friends. Let's get into it. Jake, where would you like to begin with this offseason in review? I think we need to begin
0: with Sean Murphy and the Sean Murphy trade, which it is definitively known as because Sean Murphy has been one of the best players in baseball, not just as a defensive catcher, but as a hitter. He has exploded He has a 178 OPS plus, which I believe is leading the National League. He's a 1040 OPS. He's been slugging like crazy. And this is all after a very slow start to the season. He has been absolutely in fuego for about the last month. And it is a great example of good baseball player in terrible environment gets to good environment and gets even better
1: in more ways than one. Right. I was pretty optimistic and people made this point you of all the terrible things about the Coliseum it's also not the most fun place to hit uh with the with the high walls uh, in the outfit it's just, it's just unpleasant but I think what you're also getting at is just the general <laughs> the general um, will to show up and like be at your best all the time with Oakland right you know Brent Rooker I mean he's really proven that <laughs> that notion wrong but in general now you put him on arguably the best team in baseball if not the second best team in baseball at worst right with More protection in the lineup, although it's been interesting. He's mostly been batting fourth um, and not necessarily any higher. He's always hit the ball hard, but this is ridiculous. I mean, he I think he has very clearly entered the best catcher in baseball conversation, which I thought was possible considering how high the defensive floor was. But I I couldn't see this amount of power production coming. Like, he's been unbelievable.
0: So to review the trade, December 12th, the A's, it was a three-team deal. The A's send Murphy to the Braves. Okay. The A's receive back Kyle Muller and Freddie Tarnick and Manny Pena and a minor league pitcher named Royber Salinas. Mm-hmm. So it's four guys going from Atlanta to Oakland. The Braves send William Contreras to Milwaukee, in addition to Justin Yeager, mm-hmm. who I've never heard of, but I'm sure Jordan knows 800 things about. And then Estuary, Re- Est- estuary Ruiz. I keep wanting to say Estuary, but that is not correct. He goes from Milwaukee to Oakland. Let's grade out the rest of this deal. Everyone's been doing pretty good. I got to say, except for Kyle Muller, who has struggled a little bit as the A's opening day starter. He's scuffled, but that's, you know, not totally his fault considering how bad that team has been as a whole. The A's, it was kind of impossible for the A's to win this trade because from the Oakland perspective, the purpose of this was to get worse so that they could then you know, slide off to Vegas and have no one show up to their games. So if we're looking at it from the A's perspective and you want to like put yourself in John Fisher's shoes, they crushed this deal. They have been much worse. So for the A's, big win, big win for the A's. And Astero Ruiz has been great and like might be a piece of their future. Like he's a very fun, young, dynamic outfielder who can, you know, go get it and hit a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, 98 OPS plus, I I think there were so many elements of this trade when it happened, where you were like, wait, what? And what I mean by that are, one, Braves had an awesome catching situation, and they were like, actually, we need it to be better. So they did that. Now, that is obviously, as we just said, has been fantastic. The Brewers managing to slide in and be like, yo, can we just grab William Contreras real quick? The all-star catcher, all-star year catcher. And the Braves are like, yeah, it's fine. You know, we have Sean Murphy. We don't need him anymore. And the Brewers only needing to trade Estuary Breeze, who they didn't need considering their outfield depth, to Oakland. And as you mentioned, Ruiz was, he was the headliner for Oakland. And that's the part that was weird. Sure. You could say, Oh, well, why didn't they just get Contreras? Well, they have Shea Langoliers. They believe in him. They already, (laughs) they already got a Braves catching prospect. Okay. So they're not going to get another one, but Ruiz was the part where it was like, they must think he is going to be amazing. And he hasn't been amazing. He's, he is a fun player. I mean, he's leading the league in steals. He's kind of a circus in the outfield, but also is capable of making some amazing plays. I mean, he's he's a guy I like watching. Is he, a, is he an all-star? I, maybe he develops into one. He still has zero homers. Like, the power hasn't really shown up at all. So, that's that one's weird. I want to dig in on the Contreras part of it, too. But I do sort of agree with you that the A's sort of... Got, and Salinas has been good. Tarnak's hurt. The A's have not been good at identifying it, the prospects that they need. So, I don't really want to that give is them true. that much of a win.
0: So, this is the thing. Like, if if... Oakland's goal is to be shitty right now and good in four years. They should have just traded for like 10 Dominican Summer League guys and just been like, hopefully some of these things turn into something.
1: Right. And they did still seem to opt for quantity over quality here. They did get a bunch of players, but I feel this way with a lot of these blockbuster trades. Why are we not throwing in another three or four DSL flyers like that's I I felt that way with the Soto trade I felt that way with some of these other bigger ones it's just like try and that just comes down to you know how well are you scouting these other levels and that's a much deeper conversation but okay so that's Oakland I mean again they're they're watching Sean Murphy they, they're watching Matt Olson do it they're watching Matt Chapman do it I mean we, we don't have to in right. all the great players that are elsewhere I want to talk about the Contreras piece of this because when they traded for him it was like okay how good is William Contreras because clearly the Braves You know, even if they had all these catchers, they clearly were okay with him shipping him out the door. So you've been around the Braves a lot. What was your sense on that? And then what is your take on what he's been so far for them? So when you talk to
0: people around the Braves, something that they say a lot is, we really value the position. So for them, like catcher defense and game preparation is a huge deal. Mm -hmm. To the point that like, in the way that the Cardinals have ignored, ignored that in regards to Wilson Contreras and that has turned into a disaster the Braves are very cognizant of catcher preparation and all the soft things that go into that position and Travis Darno has been spectacular at that Tyler Flowers is sneaky uh, was a big part of that and setting a lot of the systems up um obviously but Jeff in regards
1: Mathis. Jeff, Jeff Mathis,
0: Mathis he was more of a Yeah, but he was less than, like, Tyler Flowers was, like, there when it all started, and that all is related to former big leaguer Sal Fasano, who is their catching coach uh, in the dugout with them every game and helps with a lot of the preparation. sense that I get is the Braves believed that William Contreras could become very good at catching, that they could do that. They, in their contention cycle, didn't feel capable of putting in the bandwidth, the time, the energy, the work with him as their second catcher to get him to where he needed to be. And so it made more sense for them to swap him for Murphy, who could just do that right away. Now, what's interesting is that Contreras has now gone to Milwaukee and done it right away. Now, I can't speak to the game preparation stuff, but the Brewers are a very smart team who also definitely value the position. But along the way, Contreras has had his
1: framing numbers jump up like crazy. Yeah, immediately, immediately. And that's the part that is, and you know, our friend Foolish Bailey had a great a great video about the, the Brewers catching lab. They've done this with a bunch of guys, Omar Narvaez, recently as well, and Kutjurs is still hitting really well too, which is part of why he is so valuable as a catcher. And to your point, I don't think we've heard as much about how he's necessarily been handling the pitching snap, but what I do know is that his framing numbers are up, he's catching most of the games, and we haven't heard a peep of an issue in the way that his older brother, who just signed the giant contract, <laughs> immediately got booted off the position, right? And so to my the point I just I wrote about this at Fox a little bit this week. Like the point I'm making is just, I mean, listen, the standards are very different here. He just needed to be better than Victor Caratini. I know Caratini's still around or earn our vice or whatever. Whereas, you know, Wilson is replacing a franchise legend. It's a very different assignment. But it is telling that the Brewers were like, yeah, no, it's fine. Like, I, I know he has questions, but, he, and he's, you know, 25, and that's fine. Like, he is going to make our lineup better, and he's going to, he is, he is making our team better, and we can clearly improve the defense enough. Yeah. And so that's, it, it looked like a steal at the time, and it's looked just as good, if not better, you know, six weeks into the season.
0: I think in retrospect, this is a very rare win, win, win three way trade. All the teams got what they wanted. The Braves got an all star level catcher who can frickin' rake and can catch every day. The Brewers got an undervalued dude who can also rake, and they've developed him into a really legitimate defender. And the A's were trying to lose baseball games, and they've done that really well. I mean, they've been the best at
1: losing. that's true. If that was number one priority, they're certainly winning at that. I don't want to, again, Ruiz fascinates me. He is fun to watch. He's honestly in some ways been better than I expected. I I think still, I don't know if we could call this a a massive win, even if it's just about losing. Um, But fair enough. So this was obviously the biggest... Uh, you know, trade that we had this offseason. In my
0: opinion, the massive losses are the massive win. Open up your third eye. Let's go through
1: some of the big
0: wins from the free agent perspective. I think we can make these kind of quick hitters. Xander Bogarts, without him, the Padres would be in crisis mode.
1: Yeah. And it's not the same as Murphy, where it's like, why do they need him? But when they signed Bogarts, it was like, really? Like, is he really their top priority right now? I mean, for what he can, and listen, the Padres are also not in great shape right now. Like let's, let's be honest. They, they basically have everybody back healthy and it's not going so well. Uh, but Bogarts has not been the problem. And to your point, if he wasn't there, they might be three or four games under 500. So he has been, he's been awesome. And, and, and that's also why we were, you know, if you go back and listen to the, the short stops pod that we did and. We were both so bullish on Bogarts to be the easiest transition wherever the hell he ended up, whether it was Minnesota, whether it was back in Boston, whether it was, you know, who knows whether it was in Japan, Korea, you know, Mexico, this dude was going to show up to Bogarts didn't matter. And that has proven 1000% true. He is fantastic.
0: Other enormous win is Dansby Swanson, mm-hmm. who has gone to Chicago and very much reinvented himself as a hitter. His walk rate has doubled from 7% to 14.5%. That is from 33rd percentile walk rate to 91st percentile walk rate. He has basically stopped chasing outside the zone. He's been just as good at defense. Now, the power hasn't showed up to the same extent as it did, you know, in the past, but he is a better, more well-rounded hitter now than he was in the past, and this is not something I ever
1: thought he was capable of doing. Yeah, I mean, 392 OVP is is wild and and... Again, the other thing that's great about Dansby, because he's so good at defense, the dude's there every day. Like he's, yeah. I don't know if he's missed a single game yet. And what we're looking at is a player who, <laughs> it's funny to look at it now, his OPS plus is actually higher than it was last year, right? Right now. And I know some of that is, is the offensive of line. It's a little bit different, especially early in the season. Is he going to get to 25 homers again? At this point, I would be surprised, but he's still a great player. And I think that's a, that's a kind of a fascinating development. It's, it's not really, we were so focused on like, can he repeat what he just did. Instead, he was like, "No, I can get better and be a little bit different." I know the Cubs also have had their but they they're right in the mix there and he's been a huge part of it. Huge win. He's just been such a focal point of that team. He like this is exactly what they paid for. And remember, people were we just t- talked to Maddie Lee about this, right? Like he was the last one and Cubs fans were like, "All right, well, I'm glad we got one of them, but you know, it's not Correa." Well, <laughs> we'll get to Correa <laughs> in a second. <laughs> but okay, so other other massive wins. I mean, Yoshida, duh. I mean, he's been amazing. We're going to keep talking about him. Red Sox have been surprisingly competent, and he's been a, a massive part about that. Uh, not Carlos Correa, but Joey Gallo and Cody Bellinger. <laughs> all these like, bounce back of him and Hayward. I know those guys didn't, you know, Hayward didn't get as much money, but, like, I was thinking, oh, one of them will, will figure it out. But, wow, I mean, it, it is awesome. Who, who are you more surprised by, Gallo or Bellinger?
0: I am more surprised by Bellinger. Because he is dumber than Gallo. (laughs) And like, I think for Gallo, it was, he just needs to get out of New York and LA and like reset everything. Yeah. And he can just, I mean, Gallo is 29 and was really only bad for one year. Like he was bad in 22. If you go back to 21 He had a 121 OPS plus like he was not great after he got traded to the Yankees, but he wasn't horrible. Like he was just a slightly downed version of Joey Gallo. So there was one year of him being bad. Bellinger was terrible for like 20.
1: Two and a half seasons. Like two and a half seasons. Right. And he's clearly a little lightheaded. (laughs) Right. right? He's not exactly showing us as much reasons to be like, I'm going to figure this out.
0: Right. And the Dodgers coaching staff could not get through to him to make the necessary adjustments. And I'm like, OK, well, if the Dodgers can't get through to him, like no one can because that <laughs> coaching staff is so good. And so in my mind, I was like, oh, it's a Cody Bellinger problem. Right. Whereas Gallo, I understand he was in L.A., but he was there for like two minutes and didn't really get a chance to get the whole treatment. Mm-hmm. And so him going to Minnesota, it's like, oh, well, if he's comfortable. I mean, he's doing Joey Gallo shit like it's he's hitting two hundred. His yeah. batting average is 200 and his OPS yeah. plus is 139. Right. Right. And so it's exactly what you would plan. Whereas Bellinger, I was like, yeah, great. Okay. He goes to Chicago. He's going to be bad. And then, you know, he'll go play in Korea or whatever. But no, <laughs> I, he's been great. Maybe I'm not giving his intelligence
1: enough credit. Yeah, no, he's, he is, he's looked good. And, and obviously the defense is still good in the outfield. Um, so yeah, Bellinger has been, been really solid. And I know Gal. I agree, right? Gallant was just, it was a, it was a matter of worst possible timing, worst possible place to look shitty. I and mean, that's really what it came down to, but I'm not surprised he's reset and has looked great. Uh, a couple other moves. I, oh, yeah.
0: I just want to say, like, as someone who has had bad times in both New York and Los Angeles <laughs> personally, I relate oh, yeah. to this. For now, sure. have I ever, I've never been to Minneapolis in my life. Right. Largest American city I've never been to. Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe I need to go there and I'll be more comfortable. George.
1: I was going to say the difference is when you struggled in New York and LA, you didn't have thousands of people telling you you suck. Right. Maybe, maybe a uh, couple people. Not yeah. not thousands, like every day. Yet,
0: no one was booing me after a bad tweet. No,
1: no. Maybe they should have been. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> two other ones we wanted to mention as obvious wins. Uh, one is Anthony Rizzo. And listen, the Yankees are not very good right now. Um, and that's funny. But Anthony Rizzo is not the problem. And as I watch the Cubs, particularly as I watch the Cubs first base situation, and it's like they've had so many departures from the Cubs with trades and non-trades and free agents and whatever. And Rizzo has just kept on chugging along like talk about a dude that has really never been bad it's anthony rizzo and that goes back for about 10 years now and i know he can't single-handedly save the yankees offense because the kind of a hitter that he is but he's fantastic and he really is underrated at this point
0: can i say something like he's not a hall of famer Mm -hmm. but he's at 40 war yeah if he can like do this till he's 40 and he, like, gets to 63? Yeah. Are we going to have to have a weird conversation me, about Anthony Rizzo? So
1: he is, like, to me, he's like a version of Evan Longoria um, where, I mean, Anthony Rizzo is much more historically significant than, than Evan Longoria, respectfully to Longoria. But just when you consider the postseason resume and the postseason moments and the teams he was a part of, I would say. But, like, we're still talking about just a three-time All-Star. But as far as kind of being good all the time, uh, I think the issue with him is he just came along at a time when he had just other first basemen who were statistically right. so far ahead, uh, particularly in in just like the overall power production and, and being compared to Goldschmidt too. And I think if the shift was banned a few years sooner, <laughs> maybe some of those batting averages would be a little bit higher. Uh, but I I think he's he's an amazing player. I mean, he's going to get to yeah. he'll probably finish with you know 350 homers. Uh, maybe he'll probably have over a thousand RBIs. Like it's it's going to be an interesting. Uh, case and people freaking love him as they should Um, so that's kind of an interesting part about him too absolutely
0: uh, Padres legend one career okay. home I love that I love that he has 46 Yankee homers which is way fewer than I thought to be honest with you uh, 242 Cubs homers and one lone Padres homer that's great
1: yes Rizzo is is fantastic so credit to him he is not the problem <laughs> if they didn't have him they would literally be getting shut out every single game quick Yankees saying
0: I mean, we're not going to go too deep on this, but I love that they just whooped the, the A's <laughs> and like, we were feeling good. And then the Tampa showed up last what night. I or was like, night.
1: I didn't even, earlier this week, I was like, I hope when the Yankees sweep the A's, Yankees fans are like, we're so back. And I didn't even know they were about to have Tampa coming in. Um, so that only holds up even better. Um, it's, it's almost, I mean, again, that's also like, at the same time, I mean, the whiplash of playing the worst team and the best team in back-to-back days is like, I can't. Like that's, that is probably a, a tough thing to do.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Drew Rasmussen just curb stopped the Yankees lineup. last yeah, night.
1: It was, it was not pretty. Um, the Rays are man. They are something. All right. So, uh, the one other move I just wanted to mention, which I thought was interesting. Cause it was one of the more fun trades we've had in some, quite some time is Dalton Varsho for Gabriel Moreno and, and Lourdes Gurriel jr. Now Varsho hasn't exactly torn it up offensively yet. He had, a, he had a little hot stretch a couple weeks back, but he's improved their defense in the outfield. I still think that he has, uh, some more offensive contributions there that, that can lengthen that lineup. And, you know, Gabriel Moreno, while he hasn't hit for much power yet, I, he looks like a franchise catcher and everyone that's seen him says this dude's legit. And Lourdes Gurriel Jr has been awesome. He's been one of their best hitters. So even though he's a one-year guy, you know, he's, I wouldn't expect him to be in Arizona for for the long haul. If they are going to stick around in the, in the NL postseason race, it's going to be because they have a guy like Gurriel Jr. Who has been a better hitter than Varsho by a lot. Uh, and, and I, I'm not surprised. I mean, he's, he talked about a guy who's probably made some money for himself. like Guriel has, again, we've talked so much about how bad the free agent class is, particularly on the position player side. He's only going to be, you know, he he turns 30 in October. Like I think he could really make some money if he stays healthy and hits like he has because he's, he's a really underrated player and his power kind of disappeared last season. But I really like him a lot.
0: Let's get negative. Let's, let's be it. bummers. Let's do Okay, let's, Not everyone
1: through these quickly. Cause I, I don't want to, I, I, I love so many of these players and it makes me sad that they've been bad, but we have to do them uh, before we get to our good friend, Bobby Wagner. Uh, no, no, no Mets on it. We'll save the, the Mets negativity for, for later. Justin Verlander isn't even on this list.
0: Let's just go quickly. Carlos Rodon friend of the show. We are obviously biased. We have known Carlos for a decade. We're not exactly amped that he hasn't pitched yet. And guess what? Neither is he. That being said, When you give a guy $162 million and it's May 12th and he hasn't made a start, that is an early disaster. A lot of time for it to turn around. Okay. I'm optimistic. Uh, Irrationally so so maybe. But uh, he's got to be in this group so far. Wilson Contreras. We've talked about it at length. Unless he becomes a top 10 hitter in the world, which would be fucking hilarious. You know, if you just took the catcher's glove off and he turned into Babe Ruth, that'd be great. Unless that happens or he gets bit by the Yadier Molina catching defense spider. This is in the negative category. Jose Abreu, okay, signing with Houston, headed back to Chicago this weekend in what will be a very bizarre reunion where no one's in a good mood. He has yet to hit a home run. Sorry, I know about that. And he's still hitting fourth for Houston, which has become a topic of consternation for Astros
1: fans. There were some hints, people last year, even when his numbers were so good, it was like, he's struggling with velo. He's struggling with some of these things, and I was like, "Don't worry about it." He's like low key one of the greatest hitters this planet's ever seen. I know he's a little bit older. I'm not too worried. It's been terrible. He has been horrible, and they they're not changing things. He's also playing through it every day because again, you can't t- get him off the field, which I respect. Right. But it's like, dude, you stink. Fake oblique injury. Come on, get, yeah, get him need, in the, get him, him back him in the lab. lab. But also, he's gonna homer against the White Sox, right? I mean,
0: come on, has to. Yeah. When the White Sox let him go, we were like, look at these fucking idiots. How could they let this guy go? And it turns out they were right. Could you imagine in the White Sox season if they had brought Jose Abreu back for a lot of money? Could
1: you imagine? I mean, <laughs> yes, but also quick transition. They spent a bunch of money on Andrew Benintendi. He also has zero home runs. So, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I guess your defense would still include... Even more DHs in the field like Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger, whatever. But this is the thing. Different? This is the thing, Jordan. Like, if they bring Abreu back, yeah, who's losing at bet?
0: Jake Berger, who has been their best That's hitter. That's true. And so we're talking about, like, six wins on the season
1: for this whole team. I don't know. We wouldn't be playing third. Like, Berger, whatever. Anyway, it's the, it would, certainly would not make their season any more fun. Um, but maybe not. Maybe the end Maybe he would be raking uh, on the south side. Who knows? But anyway, Brayu, bad. No, no bueno. Gene Segura I in like Miami. Him. Yikes. I believe he
0: has been worth, per baseball reference, negative 1.4 wins above 1.5. It went down last He's night. Below negative wins below replacement. He has been 1.5 wins below replacement in 33 games. That is an outrageous pace. He will not keep it up all year. The equilibrium will swing back. But my lord. This is another guy who's hit
1: 270 for his whole career, at least, if not better. Like, I didn't think he was a superstar, but I didn't think he sucked. And now he's hitting 186, 233, 212 with zero home runs. So And bad defense at third. And bad place. defense. Leading the league in uh, double plays grounded into. two. So Gene Gene, I mean, no longer the hitting machine. Just just copy everything Luis
0: Rise does. Just follow him around. Do everything you eat, the same food, you know, piss in the same urinal, whatever you gotta do, because whatever's going on right now in Miami Gene is not working. Taiwan Walker, not good either in Philadelphia. Good teams don't really do this often. Like the four year 70 million dollar contract for a pitcher, 355. Like that's like the Steven Matz,
1: like Alex right. Cobb we saw in Baltimore. Bassin, that's been okay. But this one, when it happened, we were like. What has Taiwan Walker really achieved consistently to be worthy of this? I will say he looked very good against Boston. Finally started throwing the splitter yep. that was unbelievable in the WBC. I don't know why he wasn't doing that from day one. So, I, I mean, he's fine. Is he the reason they aren't very good, you know, 18 and 19? No, but it's not helping.
0: Yeah, I think he's such an important like piece of this team. Because he's he's going to pitch every day, and he's going to pitch every day there, ideally
1: for the next three years. Like that's the point. Yeah, every. every there have been moments. Oof, not every, every day. Every fifth would, day. Oof. Oh my Six. god, that would be a lot. Oh my of, god, a lot of home run, a lot of walks, a lot of homers. Yeah, we we wouldn't want that if he was pitching every day.
0: Last one, Shintaro Fujinami with the Oakland A's. Now it was only one year, three point five million dollars, three point two five, even less. Mm-hmm. So this is just a flyer, you know, a shot in the dark, a dart throw for a team that was going to suck anyway. Ah, uh, but the dart—you know when you play darts and you throw one and it doesn't even go on the board and like it hits something behind it's or it the like, other falls board. to
1: the it hits someone else's board,
0: hits someone else's board, it falls to the floor like you hit the light, right? And then everyone laughs at you. This this will happen with people who've never played darts. That's been Shintaro Fujinami so far. He started in the rotation. He made four starts and he was an absolute disaster show in all of them. He was electric to watch. Like it's a crazy. Crazy stuff. No idea where it's going. 20 Ks, 20 walks, and 23 innings is fucking lit. I absolutely love it. And to get bounced from the Oakland A's rotation after four starts? You have to be so lost for that to happen to you.
1: Oh. Here's the best part, though. I still love watching him. I mean, oh, the yeah. stuff, stuff is still awesome. He's going to stay on the team. Like there, there, There's no reason to send him <laughs> elsewhere because like there's a version where he just gets insanely hot for like eight games in a row out of the bullpen and someone trades for him. But yeah, I mean, obviously from the jump, it made no sense for him to be in the rotation, but it was uh, quite the circus while we watched it.
0: All righty, Jordan. The last one we should mention. Jacob DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom with the Texas Rangers. This is exactly what we expected. Electric in six starts. They went 6-0 and in his starts, and he's on the IL, and we don't know when he's going to pitch again. And that's the Jacob DeGrom experience. This is what they expected and what they paid for and for the Rangers, who look like a fringe postseason team, you get the guy healthy by October seventh, and he
1: starts your wild card game. It's a win. That's the thing. They're six and zero in his starts. He's been awesome when he's been on the mound. He's, he's already given them, you know, help them get to six wins, and that might be enough to get him in the postseason. And like I said, maybe he should just go take a rest until game one of the of the playoffs. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, the latest is that it'll be a few more weeks. What that means with DeGrom could be anything, so I'm not exactly expecting to see him soon, but that one is like, uh, yep, it's going to basically exactly as I expected.
0: Dane Dunning, who has been outstanding so far this year and is basically filling in for DeGrom in that role, would have gotten those DeGrom starts, right? That trickle-down effect of whoever, instead of DeGrom, who do those starts go to? It's not the second best pitcher. It's the worst pitcher, right, who's filling that spot. Degrom going six and zero oh in his starts instead of like Dane Dunning going two and four, mm-hmm. right? That's a huge deal at the end yeah. of the year in what will be a very close race. So even if he's done for the year, like it's not worth the
1: money. Yes, I understand, <laughs> but still, Dane Dunning has sort of already done his job, um, or Degrom has already done his job. Dunning was awesome out of the bullpen, and now he you know he looked great against Seattle in uh, his second start. So who knows? How many how starts? How many starts of two six seven
0: ERA ball? Are the Rangers satisfied with for Jacob Degrom? Because four, or sorry, I guess six starts. If we're being real over the whole season, they're not amped about that, right? That's not enough. But like twenty-five is great. What number are you like? All right, that's
1: fine. Fifteen. So I mean, his his deal is backloaded this year, right? So so far, if he's done for the year, it was it was it was <laughs> five million a start. So we'll only be making thirty million this year. So five million for a Jacob Degrom start, but next year it's gonna be forty million. So I think this year he could sort of get away with just six starts.
0: No, fifteen. Two mil start worth it.
1: Two mil 30. starts worth it. I love the the contrast of that versus like the, that's one side of the spectrum in like the world of baseball is paying one person two million dollars to make one start, and the other side of baseball is like you know adult league men's league in the summer where it's like hey man like can you come throw a couple of
2: things
1: i'll buy you lunch <laughs> it's, it's like it's very very different uh baseball is, is is a funny game all right um of course there are more moves we will continue to talk about those in the weeks to come but for now we're going to take a quick break and we return with bobby wagner for uh, another edition of men's coming
0: Hey everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The biggest race on the IndyCar calendar, the Indianapolis 500, is right around the corner, which means the much-anticipated series 100 Days to Indy has begun. Each Thursday,
2: right after new episodes of the show drop on the CW, we'll be dropping our own reaction podcast on the Off Track feed as we break down everything that we saw in the episode and talk about which one of our friends are really putting it on for the camp.
0: Listen to Off Track now on Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, you know what that means. You know that sound. I searched one hour of nuclear alarm siren on YouTube, and I'm playing it into the microphone, and that means it is time for MetsCon.
1: Let's do it. Hi, guys. Bobby sounds so happy to be here. Bobby Wagner, everybody, our old uh, podcast producer, has joined us for another edition of MetsCon. For those of you unfamiliar with the concept, please, Bobby, my dear friend, explain to us why, well, first of all, what this is and why now is the perfect time to be bringing it back to our podcast.
2: So MetsCon is a play off the DEFCON scale, which is the United States military, I guess, emergency readiness scale. This is important. This part is important. Five is the most gentle, you know? Five, we're like chilling out. It goes kind of in reverse order. DEFCON 1 means nuclear war is imminent or has already begun. So we can't say one. Really, we can't ever say one unless the New York Mets get like folded as a franchise.
0: DEFCON 1 was when like Brody Van Wagenen was like making fun of Manfred. You remember this? And it was like maybe, maybe Manfred will just fold the Mets out of spite.
2: DEFCON 1 could have been like if the Willpons decided to pull Steve Cohen's bid at the last second. That could have been mm. DEFCON 1, but those, sure. that's all in retrospect now. This is the now. But here's the thing. The Mets stink right now. The Mets yeah. have been shut out
1: more than any team in baseball. Yesterday by the Reds for the seventh time this season, more than any other team this season, they've played a baseball game and finished it with zero runs. Bobby, that's, you're supposed to score runs. That's how you win mm. baseball games. And they've been scoring zero runs quite often. They're now 18 and 20. They're in fourth place in the NL East.
2: Do we know if anyone's told them that? Do we know if anybody's just said, maybe you should score some mm. runs? Like, does anybody remind That's why you're them?
1: here. That's why you're here, Bobby. <laughs> we have this great platform. We have at least like 15 to 20 people listening. Maybe right. one of them's on the Mets. And now you have the opportunity to say, hey, guys, score some runs. This weekend, the Mets will be taking on the Nationals of Washington and there is a world where at the end of the weekend, the Nationals of Washington are ahead of the Mets of New York in the standings. Yes. That sentence in and of itself, you don't have to tell me literally anything else about the season. You just have to tell me the date and the fact that that is true. And I would say things aren't going very well. So Bobby, what is your sense on, first of all, you haven't given us a number yet. So no, do no, that. Not give us, give us our, our rating and then tell us what concerns you the most and why you give it that
2: rating. Okay, before I give the rating, I would like to just contextualize myself for this baseball season. So on my podcast, Tipping Pitches, which you guys come on kind of annually and tell us that you could do a better job hosting it than us. That's kind of like your whole shtick, but that's okay. It's it's true. Um, We before the season started, I was kind of searching to try and find a new like a new phrase, a new uh, tagline for the New York Mets this season. Last year, when the Mets opened in Washington, I traveled down to Washington for that series and a lot of Mets fans when they see you at an away ballpark, they'll say, hey, let's go Mets. And what do you say? It's kind of an awkward situation. You can't just say, let's go Mets back because then you're just repeating what they said. So you have to kind of come up with your own little tagline that you could say back to them. And last year I said, hey, this is the year. You know, I just kept saying, hey, this is the year. And it kind of felt like the year all year. 101 wins. Of course, they blew it at the end. Everyone knows what happened. Can't run that back this year because you can't just be like, this is the year every year. Then you're a schmuck. So this year I decided my tagline would be, Keep the faith. Hey, keep the faith. People say, let's go Mets to me. I just point back and say, hey, keep the faith. So I'm trying to remain as optimistic as possible. So I would like to introduce you to the second version of Bobby that you guys don't know yet. And that is Optimist Bob about the New York Mets. Ooh.
1: I I think I was about to say, oh, were you saying keep the faith, you know, when they were 10 and 6, 11 and 6, even at one point this season? But I think it's a good reminder of how this season started. Yes. With Justin Verlander being scratched. <laughs> and I know he's back now, but and he's looked pretty good, right? I know Scherzer is now the one that's, that's dancing on and off the IL. But as you've watched this team and as you've tried to keep the faith, what, like, what are the thoughts that are going through your head? I mean, I just mentioned they've been shut out seven times. What has made you most frustrated or concerned about this team so far? What's been the biggest opponent mm-hmm. to keeping the faith?
2: So, okay. Here's where I'll say I would say I would say right now we're in Metzcon three bordering on Metzcon two. And for folks at home, that means we are increasing our force readiness above that required for normal readiness. And it means that we are about to be verging on next step to nuclear war. Love it. <laughs> this is because it's May. Okay, It's May 12th. And I'm trying to, quote unquote, keep the faith and stay honest to myself. Um, however, Jordan, to answer your question. The thing that bothers me most about this team is that they have absolutely no life and charisma to them whatsoever. You watch them, they lose five, nothing. It's like nothing matters. Even the games that they start to battle back, they immediately give it back in the next half of the inning. They're just a very frustrating baseball team to watch because, you know, for the two week stretch that they were on the road, they were hitting OK and the pitching was just getting them by enough and the kind of the bullshit bullpen that they had going on with Jimmy Yacobonis coming in and giving them three scoreless innings was working out. But it was pretty clear that when they came back, they were going to need to get like a good start from a starting pitcher. And they haven't gotten that. So it doesn't really even matter that they're getting shut out in some of these games because only one starter has gone into the seventh inning this season. And it was Joey Lucchese on Saturday night in San Francisco in his first start in a year and a half. So nothing is really clicking In the various aspects of this team, but
1: yeah, you you can't. Yeah,
0: yeah, you need runs. That's the thing. This is not the World Cup. Okay, it does not go to PKs after nil nil. They don't. They don't let you do that. They don't let penalty pitches happen yet, even though we've pitched that before. This team, over the last three weeks, the last eighteen games, has scored sixty-one runs. That is second worst in baseball. They have scored the second fewest runs in baseball over the last three weeks. That's a significant period of time. The only team that has scored fewer than them is the Cleveland Guardians and half of their hitters don't even bring a bat with them because it's not even worth it. The Do you have faith? Do you have more faith in the lineup figuring its shit out and getting out of the rut or more faith in s- someone other than Joey Lucchese pitching into the seventh inning? Uh,
2: Well, I, I think that stat might be out there because I think Justin Verlander might have gone to the seventh the other day. So I, I okay. think the, the second one probably in that I don't there's kind of like a whole Max Scherzer debate going on in the baseball world right now. And national reporters seem to be way too interested in it, if you ask my personal opinion. Um, he's having a rough start to the season, of course. Then the sticky stuff thing added kind of gasoline onto that fire. But I think that he will eventually get back to some level of stasis. I think he will be a good pitcher, not a great pitcher. I don't think he's going to be as good as he was last year. He was kind of amazing last year until it fell off and fell, you know, out of control in the wildcard series. Um, I'm I'm confident in. So I... The thing about the lineup is that every player is just getting 10% worse year over year. And that was like an easy thing to see coming. And then brain genius Billy Epler, who built the Los Angeles Angels into the biggest dysfunctional franchise of the 21st century, just kept trotting down that path and didn't, you know, and didn't replace them. But I I am cautiously optimistic about how Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez have looked, and that lengthens the lineup quite a bit. And so. It's not going to be like this all year. Like, do I think that they still have a a better than fifty percent chance of making the wild card? Um, and I think that they have a precisely zero point zero 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 percent chance of winning the division against the Braves. So that's like almost like oddly comforting for us, and that's why it's not quite nuclear warfare yet. And
0: right, and, like last year, yeah. it was just stressing about the Braves. Yeah, like exactly. everything just was adrenaline in my veins all day every day. Bobby's just walking down the street in Brooklyn, looking behind his shoulder. Oh, the Braves are coming. The Braves are coming. Now they're out of sight. They're out of mind. They're way too good for you. You're just battling the Marlins and the Nats for the wild card (laughs) or whatever. For people who don't watch the Mets every day, I just want to give a little bit of a summary and overview. Okay. Yes. Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty, the young rookies have come up and they've both held their own and they've shown flashes and like they'll probably figure it out and be better. The good players on the Mets this year, Pete Alonso, Brandon Nimmo, Have just been Pete Alonso and Brandon Nimmo. Alonso got off to a really hot start. He's cooled off a little bit, but he's still Pete Alonso. Okay. The underwhelming uh, hitters have been McNeil and Lindor. They have just not quite gotten there yet. Tommy Fam kind of in this category too. And then the catastrophes.
2: You you say Tommy Fam in front of me. To my face, you say the name Tommy Fam. Come on. You know, I I can't handle Tommy Fam.
0: I have some Tommy Fam thoughts in a second, actually, but we'll get there. And then the catastrophes have been Mark Canna, Eduardo Escobar, and shockingly, Starling Marte. Yeah. Every Mets fan the last month of last season tried to tell me was like Mike fucking Trout. And when he hurt his hand, him being out was like the worst thing to happen to New York since like Rudy Giuliani started mumbling. Yeah. All right. So that's the overview of the lineup. Of the horrible hitters, let's say the horrible or underwhelming hitters, who ends the year? with a batting line that you feel good about? Of like, let's say Lindor, McNeil, Marte, Canna, Fam, Escobar.
2: McNeil, for sure. Ends the year with a line that I feel the most confident about. Um, I think Lindor will come back around. Can I, actually, let me say this on Lindor. I think Marte will come back around too. I think Canna is in a real danger zone here. He is out in the sea with little life raft with how how much he's struggling with the pitch clock and how his timing has been disrupted. He's always been a, a batter who kind of, uh, methodical approach takes a lot of pitches tries to take a lot of walks takes borderline pitches too and i think that this is sort of like a cliche thing but i think that he is kind of a casualty of the pitch clock so far and I'm, I'm yet to see if he can kind of reverse that tide jake you're saying no
0: no amount of books on the seven train can save you from the pitch clock
2: yeah and father time bro father not only is he being sped up but he is aging so he is yeah. being sped up doubly
1: and i was gonna <laughs> say I was going to say, right? We've spent a lot of time talking about how old the Mets pitching staff is, and that's totally justified. But the trio with thirty-four year olds in Marte, Cana, and Escobar—all of which you're like, wait a minute, that guy's thirty-four—and yeah. um, of course, you know, uh, Fam already thirty-five. Like, that's these things can happen sometimes. <laughs> these things sometimes it just goes. But the other thing about the Mets that I am, let's say, most
0: concerned, but most surprised by, is mm-hmm. there's been really no weird shit happening besides the scherzer sticky stuff and what we are used to with the mets is that every week there's another odd headline and so for the mets have not just been underwhelming they've been boring yes and so what i would like is i need tommy fam to do some tommy fam shit
2: yeah he needs i need him to hit into them
0: (laughs) yes i need him to do some tommy fam shit and light this team on fire because this team needs to make a headline. Like, someone needs to be spotted on a date with Pete Davidson. Yeah. Or, like, someone oh. has to date Taylor Swift. Or, like, I, someone I, needs to rob a bank. I of the Taylor like, Swift
2: thing on the pod two weeks ago. Because, you know, she's dating, potentially dating F1 drivers who are controversial. She's potentially dating Maddie Healy, lead singers of, of rock bands right. who are controversial. If she wants to just date people just to, to, you know, date quasi-failures who are in the spotlight a lot, New York Mets got a lot of them on the roster. Jeff Brigham. Yeah, bro. Jeff Brigham. I mean, well, right? I mean, I assume he would
1: be the first guy that Taylor Swift would be would be all over. Not high leverage um,
2: Tommy Hunter? High leverage <laughs> Hunter. That's my nickname for him this year.
1: <laughs> um yeah, I, I that's saying it's a great point, Jake. Like it really has been it's like if if they're going to be bad, can they at least be also a circus and instead they're just boring and bad? And that's just kind of lame. That's not the Mets we know and love.
0: <laughs> so, like someone yeah. someone commit like a victimless crime. Mm. Okay? Like mm-hmm. that's what I need. I need like uh, like tax evasion or some shit. You know, I, hey, I need I need this team to do something weird. James, do something interesting.
1: Please. you in New York. Head on down to the ball yard and, and give them a little pep talk. Say, hey, guys, we need victimless crimes as soon as possible. Let's get this season I think, back on track. I think
2: Dark Knight Rises style, they should go down to Wall Street. They should try to rob it like Bane. Just <laughs> send Francisco Lindor in on a motorcycle with a helmet trying to rob Wall Street. Um, Bobby, speaking of Francisco Lindor, can I say? You know
0: what I need? Sorry, I need like a Chris Christie first pitch that he Mm. like just bungles it. That's going to set the team on fire.
2: Yeah, that's going to get the vibes going in the right direction. Um, Is it too much to ask Francisco Lindor to be like a competent major league hitter for a month straight? Mm. Because he'll be like the best hitter in baseball for like 10 days, and then he will just look totally lost. And I don't know what that is. He's always been kind of a streaky player. Um, And I think that like, He's so streaky that you look at his line at the end of the year. And if you don't watch him every day, you think that he's just consistent because it all nets out in the same place. But as someone who's been watching him every day for the last three years, of course, that first year in Queens, the pressure of the contract, all of the attention on it, et cetera, et cetera. He had a bad year. And last year, he was phenomenal, sensational, one of the best players in baseball. And I don't think that there's any cause for concern that he's not that player anymore. He just he gets down 02 a lot. He strikes out on four pitches a lot you know, and he is in the middle of the lineup that is scoring no runs. So it's particularly pronounced when you're a team that is struggling for offense. And the guy who is like the emotional fulcrum of the team, the guy who is the, I guess, financial fulcrum of the team, if you care about that, he's just, he's not the one to snap them out of it right now. And I have more faith in him than almost any athlete in the world that he's like the right guy to be at the center of that team. But yeah, still, it's, uh, it's not looking good so far for him this year.
1: Uh, bobby my last question for you is what you say keep the faith but you've lowered your expectations so yeah, yeah. what what does the season look like where you will not end it feeling terrible that doesn't involve you know winning the world series
2: um like a like a comfortable wild card berth in which Beatty and alvarez continue to play enough to get like you know between 400 and 600 at bats mm-hmm. and they like make moves that address need like they don't they don't try to stick to the course of the roster simply because of the price tag of the roster or whatever yeah. like if they are going to if they're really going to put Ronnie Mauricio in the outfield and see if he can play right field or whatever then then just do it you know like just rip that band-aid off and I know he probably won't play right field cuz of Charlie Marte in the majors or whatever but if you, if they're going to try him in left or or whatever it's going to be then um just do it you know cuz there's no the real problem is that there's no cavalry coming on the pitching side. It's really just that the 40-year-olds are going to have to figure it out. And so I guess that is sort of the other element of of success for the season is that they kind of get back to um, being the adults in the rotation. That would be nice.
0: Uh, I have a new tagline for you. Mm-hmm. People say, let's go, Mets. You say, hold on tight.
2: <laughs> That's great. Oh, dang. I wish you would have told me that in, like, you know, early March. But I'll save that one for next year. You can... Remember that for the All Gift Draft next season. Remember to remind me about
1: that. For the record, I I think Keep the Faith is great. I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect for their level of team and their level of talent. I think Keep the Faith is perfect. So I give you an A-plus on that tagline. I give you an A-plus on everything you're involved in, Bobby Wagner. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us and letting us make fun of your team. Letting you make fun of your team, I guess, is more accurate. Yeah. (laughs) So... Uh, who's to say when we will have you back on uh, for MetsCon? But uh, usually the Mets uh, make it very clear when we should be having you back on. So thank you for joining us as always, and we'll do it again soon.
2: Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Chris. Tyler, appreciate it, brother.
0: And welcome back to the end of Baseball Barbercast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Thank you to Bobby Wagner for coming on. Let's hop right into the good, the bad And the Ugla, again, one thing good from the week that was, one thing bad from the week that was, and one thing. Dan Ugla, something a little bit odd, a little bit weird. Jordan, why don't you start us off with your good?
1: I will start us off with Wander Franco leading baseball in F4 on this Good Friday. Is it Good Friday? I don't know when Good Friday is. is It's already happened, brother. It's Good Friday, lowercase lowercase g. (laughs) It's a Good Friday. Um, I love this because Wander Franco's season last year, was he was injured. He was just hurt. And we were like, oh, what's the ceiling here? Is he just a good player? Is he just a guy where it's like really nice player to have? Maybe even all-star sometimes. But like, is he really one of the best players in baseball? And six weeks into the season for one of the best starts we've ever seen from any individual team, one of the best offenses we've ever seen from any individual team. He's like, yeah, actually guys, uh, remember when everyone thought I could be the best player in baseball when I was 11? Yeah, that's true. So I love Wander Franco. He is great.
0: I had someone in baseball yesterday text me. Hey, Wander Franco might have it. And I responded, no fucking duh. <laughs> like, yeah. a boy. <laughs> way way, good scouting. Yeah, that's um, great. That's a, my, good, you got a good look there. of boy. Uh, Mike Trout's pretty good too. Uh, my good mm-hmm. is that Luisa Rise is still hitting 398. And he's not hitting 400 anymore. Uh, 400 anymore. I believe he was at the beginning of the week, but he is at 398. I don't think he'll hit 400. This year, uh, call me in a month. However, I do think he has a chance to post, you know, a batting average higher than we have seen in a long, long time. Now, the highest batting average in the wild card era that is since 1995 belongs to Larry Walker of the Colorado Rockies in 1999. Again, hitting in cores certainly helps. If Luis Ariz was in Coors Field, he would hit 520. All right. But I think that that is decently within range. He could make a run at 379. He's currently at 398. Mm-hmm. That's the best that we've had since 1999. Now, we have really not had anything remotely approach that. DJ LeMayu hit 364 in the fake 2020 season. Maglior, doesn't or doesn't count. or uh, I guess Joe Maurer hit 365 in 2009. Mm-hmm. If you want something that is 2-0 and then a one I mean, like, there's really not a lot here as you go back. I would say, like, Daniel Murphy hit 347 in 2016. LeMayhew did the same 348 in 2016. Like, we just haven't had guys get above even like 340 mm-hmm. in a long, in like a handful of years. Betts was
1: 346 in 2018. So, like, Arise is going to do something we haven't seen for a while. So, last year, I wrote about Arise who on June 21st was hitting 361 um and so last year i was very much watching this exact same thing and he's been even better this year so yeah no he's he is he is entirely in his own category and he's absolutely one of my favorite players and like you said it seems like all the hits the jeansiger he's not getting uh Luis Ariz is gobbling those up
0: i have to say Josh Hamilton hitting 359 in 2010 is on this list and that's just outrageous bro what a season
1: all right let's go to bad and my bad is very simple it's something that has been uh, written about extensively and i've already mentioned it on this podcast the guardians offense jake uh, guardians are hitting 221 297 325 for a 73 wrc plus that is 7 points less than the 80 wrc plus that the 29th place colorado rockies currently sport um and watching them against detroit this week i mean it's just this is just stunning this is a stunning stunningly bad performance and it is it is I don't know how they fix it I think that's the most interesting part is like they kind of cast their lot here with this group that like worked last season and the reason why it's so funny to me is because of how last season ended in that series against the Rays where the Rays scored one fucking run in 24 innings <laughs> and the Guardians scored like three <laughs> and they came out of that because Oscar Gonzalez had a home run and we were like oh my god the Rays the Rays brought back almost that entire lineup and they are one of the greatest offenses we've ever seen Cleveland brought back their entire lineup almost, added some pieces, and they are one of the worst offenses we've ever seen. Thank you, baseball. We totally understand you.
0: Not to insult one and in three men, but the only word I can use to describe the Guardians lineup is flaccid.
1: Yeah. It's ugly. It is a it is a poor watch. It is not making anybody satisfied. Maybe that's the best way to put it. <laughs> what is your bad? <laughs>
0: My bad is the Orlando MLB stadium proposal. I don't know if people saw this this week, but whenever these come out, like a city releases a rendering of a stadium and every, you know, aggregating account on Twitter loses its collective wad and tweets it out. And is Ooh, baseball in, you know, Minnetonka, or they're going to build a stadium in Carson city or whatever the fuck it is. Right there. One came out $1.7 billion stadium proposal in Orlando. OK, a couple things. They are not getting an expansion team. MLB is not taking a team, one of the two precious spots, and putting it in Florida, a state that has proven itself time and time again, unable to retain uh, eyeballs and to make money. That, that is not happening. Now, could they get the raise? Maybe. I don't want to have that discussion right now. Let me say this, though. Orlando is the worst American city is where I will start. That is my personal opinion. I have not been to every American city, so maybe I'm not qualified. I've been to a lot of them, and I have had no worse time than in Orlando, Florida, where you have all the horrible things of Florida, except you are inland. You are inland, okay? What's the best part of Florida is the beach. And Orlando said, hold my my inland, hold my lake. Here we are in the middle of Florida. I fucking hate that place. And the idea... Of Orlando having a stadium that we would need to go to at any point would just be just devastating and soul crushing. And the idea that they're the Orlando dreamers is so funny because they sound like an old they just sound like uh like the big the baby boomers, like they're the dream, like just I mean, it's, terrible. It's quite a
1: dream, you gotta give it gotta hand a to them. Uh, here's
0: the, the Orlando Irrational Ideas is what this team should be called.
1: While I don't entirely disagree with many of the sentiments you've presented, <laughs> what I will say is that I love this because I, I don't care how realistic they are. Ballpark proposal pictures, I'll eat them up. I don't care if they'll never happen. I don't care if they're almost insulting to the degree to which they're pretending like they're going to be a thing. It's, it's like, a oh, you made a new ballpark and you think like pe- real people like p- spent a lot of time putting those together and said like, this is what a ballpark could look like. It's fun, whatever. It's, just, it's to me, to me, it's harmless. I, I again, I understand why you're putting this in the bad category, but I, I like looking at the pictures.
0: <laughs> the rendering is good. Okay, all of them are good.
1: You're not the angry. idea.
0: The idea of a ballpark of a big league baseball team in Orlando, Florida, mm-hmm. is soul-crushingly bad to me. Mm-hmm. Even the thought of of it, like going to the 2036 All Star Game in Orlando, and this is coming from someone admittedly who hates Disney. Things oh, if, you, if, you, if you couldn't have figured that out, that he wouldn't have mentioned that by this point. Not in the Ron DeSantis way, mm-hmm. to be clear, but just I don't enjoy Disney World and the Disney experience. Mm-hmm. So designing a team in Orlando for me is, oh my God, dear Amazing. Lord. Well,
1: that is, <laughs> so, Jake certainly made the case for, for bad there. All right, let's go to Ugla. My Ugla this week is a little check-in on one of my favorite websites in the world, umpscorecards.com i love umpscorecards.com it is honestly one of my favorite things that has joined the baseball lexicon uh really since i've been doing this for you know 10 years now and i just wanted to check in on you know some of the best umps that we've had so far most notably that by average accuracy of umps that have uh done at least five games The GOAT himself, Perfect Pat, Pat Hoberg, is indeed once again in first place with an average accuracy of 97.2 through his six games. Just so, for those of you who are not as familiar with UmscoredCards.com, encourage you to support their work, donate, Patreon, whatever. They are freaking awesome, and I love everybody involved over there. Pat Hoberg was number one last year. It was him and a younger umpire named Jeremy Rehack were the top two, along with Adam Hamari, Trip Gibson. Those are the guys at the top of the list. This year, we have a new challenger, Mark Ripperger. Mark Ripperger. Him and Quinn Walcott currently, and Mark Wegner currently averaging over 96% accuracy. We love to see that. Jeremy Rehack up there in the top 10 as well. Alan Porter, traditionally awesome. We got Chad Fairchild, who has one of the best games of the season. Trip Gibson, he's been excellent. We have not had a perfect game yet so far this season. I would not expect to since we had a perfect pat in the World Series last season. But we did recently have our first uh, just one missed call of the season. I believe it was courtesy of Junior Valentine. In a game earlier this week, so we love to see that. We love tracking the umpire performances because for all the time we spend yelling at them, how much they suck, I want to give them credit when they are absolutely nailing it. So you know how much I love umscorecards.com and I, I never get tired of it. I look at it every day, and uh, it's the best.
0: Jordan, I would like you for my UGLA to get in uh, to fly across the country. Okay. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna head up to Bellingham, Washington. All right, and then we're gonna drive north up Route Five. All right. And we're going to take that over to the border into Canada, and then we're going to swing back around into America. And You'll see what I mean in a second. OK, the University of British Columbia mm-hmm. is an NAIA school that this past week won the Cascade Collegiate Conference and won the automatic bid into the NAIA playoffs. The two best pitchers on the University of British Columbia are brothers, Ryan and Sean Hepner. Now, this fact was made clear to me by a uh, professional baseball scout. Ryan and Sean Hepner are from a place called Point Roberts, Washington. Jordan, please open Google Maps and search Point Roberts, Washington. Okay. Point Roberts, plural. Uh, Point, Point Roberts, Roberts, plural. Yes. Point Why don't you go Roberts ahead and see where that Washington. is? And tell everyone
1: where exactly Point Roberts, Washington is. So Point Roberts, Washington is basically if you if you are in Vancouver and you just drive directly south until you hit the water. uh, I mean, this is really this is a bizarre place. So this is basically it's very hard to describe, but it appears to be below the border. Right. So it is in America, but it is completely separate of any other part of Washington. Is that the best way to describe it? Correct. Now, Point
0: Roberts is a geographical mistake. When the U.S. and Canada drew their border in 1918, whatever the shit, it is along the 49th parallel, okay, that runs all the way across the top uh, from like Minnesota, North Dakota, Montana, Idaho, Washington. However, there is a little sliver of land that juts down from Vancouver just below the 49th parallel for, I want to say about... Two miles, maybe even less, down over the border. And the only way to get there is by boat or to drive into Canada and back around. But it is America. And Point Roberts, Washington, is where these two brothers, Sean and Ryan Hepner, are from. And they are both apparently pretty freaking good. One of them is like 88 to 90 and is like pretty decent. And they're both fresh. I think one of them is a freshman. They're in the NAIA playoffs. Probably not pro guys because it is NAIA but maybe they are. And I just love that there are two brothers dominating college baseball from this tiny little weird place that I'm not even sure if it has a baseball field that is like kind of America and kind of not point. Roberts, Washington. That it, is my ugly.
1: It is bizarre. If you look at it, you just say, why is that America? It's really that simple. Right. You just don't really understand why Uh chance to UBC, as it is known produced one big leader, Jeff Francis, Rockies hmm. lefty first rounder, Back in 2002, pitched a long time for the Rockies, one of the ultimate. Um, just throwing some poo up there. <laughs> Talk about 80 poo from the left side. He was, he was, uh, shockingly competent one of the one of the better course field pitchers we've actually had over the last 20 seasons thank you to Chris Child. thank you to bobby wagner thank you jake mince jake will be back on monday without me we got a lot of uh, travel coming up so we're going to be seeing some guest host situations in the coming weeks but we're going to do our best to keep delivering you the best baseball barbacast possible we appreciate all the support as always until next week solo.
2: Series XM Podcasts.